I want to explain a few things to you because of the times in which we live, because of what's going on in the world. And there's something that I really enjoy, and that's studying prophecies of the scriptures. I can't say I have it down perfectly. I, I think I'm close. When it comes to the gospel and how you get to heaven, I think I'm dead on the money. But there's a lot of things that we may not totally, fully understand. And that comes with trying to decipher what the Word of God says when it comes to things in the future. Now, we know that one-fourth of the Bible is pre-written history, where God tells us what's going to take place before it happens. The reason God does that, according to Isaiah 48, is because we're hard-headed and stiff-necked. So God says that if we um, see what he said is true, it's because he told us first. He says, this is what's going to happen. So I uh, enjoy studying. I believe there is a difference between the, the holy covenant that God gave and the covenant that's being made by the Antichrist. Uh, they're not the same one. And I believe that it helps when you distinguish between the two. I believe that is something that's going on at this present time, even with the United Nations. If people only understood and believed what the Bible said, that it is true, where God made a promise to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee. I will curse them that curse thee. That's a simple little thing. And yet, look how many nations have turned against one little nation. Not just the Arab nations. Almost all the nations of the world. And I believe America is this close to turning against Israel. I do not believe at this present time that Israel feels that America is truly standing with them. We may be behind them, but we're far behind them. They wanted somebody to stand with them. And I think they have let the world know that we don't stand with Israel. Not like we ought to stand with Israel. And it's going to cause a lot of trouble because God is going to lower the boom. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Now we've covered some things about the last couple of Sundays about Genesis and some of those things. But this is just a little bit different. And I want you to see there in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. Can't go any further back than Genesis. It's the only book I've got in my Bible. It's the first one I've got. So there isn't another book back there. But I do want you to look there in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, He is the only God. There is no other God. And um, Allah of the religion of Islam is not God because the true and living God has a son. And Allah, their God, doesn't have a son, so it's not the same God. We're not even close on what we believe with the religion of Islam. You need to know that. Otherwise, you can so easily be swept in by all the things that you hear. And people will attack that tiny little nation and those people. And I think they need to be very careful. 
But he made the statement here, Now the Lord God had said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and will bless thee, and will make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So God made a promise. God made a covenant with the nation of Israel. Now look there in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, and look there in verse 18. Verse 18. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now whether anybody likes it or not, who made this world? God did. And he can give it to whoever he wants to. He made it. Now, he made a promise to Israel and the people. But he also made a covenant concerning the land. Hosea talks about how that they will part his land. That is not the will of God. Where they will divide the land of Israel. That land whether anybody likes it or don't like it, belongs to Israel because it belongs to God, and God gave it to them. Now, having said that, take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 2. The book of Daniel and chapter 2. Now, I believe uh, these are some references to the Holy Covenant given by God. There's another covenant that is going to be made. It is not the same covenant. Now here in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Many of these things I've covered before, but there's a little bit different angle that I want to hit it from. In verse 31, Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breasts and his arms of silver, belly and his thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, and were of iron and clay, and brake them in pieces." Then was the iron, one, clay, two, brass, three, silver, four, gold, five, broken to pieces together and become like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, and that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, that is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. It caused him a nightmare. Because he didn't understand what it meant. He was going to kill all the wise men, the soothsayers, the magicians of Babylon. Well, Daniel was considered to be one of those wise men. He wasn't ready to die yet. He goes to the Lord, the revealer of secrets, and says, hey, what's going on? God told him. That's in the Hebrew. And he told him. And so he comes to see the king. He says, oh, king, he says, can't your magicians and all your soothsayers and your wise guys, can't they tell you? 
He says, I know what the dream is and the interpretation. I know what it means. Now, you and I have seen these verses before, talked about them. We know that it's a reference to the various kingdoms upon the earth. The nations that will rule over Israel and the times in which they will do so. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar, he says, thou art the head of gold. See there in verse 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. God gave it to you. And wheresoever the children of men dwell in the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the heavens hath he given into thy hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all, thou art this head of gold. Now, of course, Nebuchadnezzar didn't know that God was working behind the scenes. He didn't know that God had raised him up. You see, God always finds just the right branch that he's going to use to whoop his people. They were a rod in the hands of God. And then God, after he uses them, will get another rod and whoop them. And then another rod and whoop them. Because people don't do what God says do. All nations on the face of the earth are under the all-watching eye of God. God's the one that raises up and God can put down. America did not come to be without the knowledge of God. Man didn't produce all of this. There's a God behind the scenes that raised up our nation. And God raised up that little old bitty nation of Israel and promised them that as long as you serve me and obey me, I will bless thee and protect thee and will put none of the diseases of the Egyptians upon you. And Israel would have had no worries whatsoever. But if you rebel against me, he said, I'll bring a nation from afar who speaks a language you don't understand. And I'll drive you into all the nations of the earth. Isn't it amazing that 2,500 years they've been driven all over the place? But they're still a people. They're still a people. Kind of a, a type of the eternal security. That once you trust Christ as Savior, you're his child forever. And there will always be the nation of Israel, a remnant. And so they have existed. And isn't it amazing that uh, in our lifetime... Well, I would say, and in 48, if you were around at that time, Israel becomes a nation. Coincidence? I don't think so. Not if these verses are true and God is behind the scene and God's in charge. Last time I heard he was. Then he talks about, yes, there is the head of gold. And then just picture there's a big old man standing up here. Like Peter, a big old man standing up here. And there's the head of gold. Then there's the, the Medes and the Persians. And then the belly of brass. And then the eastern and western divisions of the Roman Empire. And then you have these ten toes down on the, the foot. We often, in trying to explain this according to a timetable, we always lay the body down. Because it kind of time, you know, so you can understand it a little bit better. But let's just pretend the body is laying up here on this table. All right, we have gone through Babylon. They have come on the scene, and now they're off the scene. Then the Medes and the Persians came, and now they're off the scene. And then the Greek Empire, now they've gone off the scene. The Roman Empire, now they've gone off the scene. And between the ankles, we just chop his feet off. And we move his feet way out there. How far? I don't know for sure. Been 2,000 years so far. 
Because you see, those ten toes, the Bible says that when Christ comes back, he is going to hit those toes. Now, understand, the Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes back in power and great glory, at the end of all the Gentile nations that have ruled over Jerusalem, from Babylon on down. Now, there was two before that, the Assyrians and the Egyptians. Now, Christ comes back here in power and great glory. When he comes back, those ten nations will be ruling during this period of time. A short period of time. These other ones have ruled for several hundred years. This one... Seven years. This is the 70th week of Daniel. And God says that when he comes back, he is the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, and he is going to smite the ten toes and destroys all of these, but it says together. So as we lay the body down and go through the various steps... And in the process of time, Babylon came and gone. The Medes and the Persians came and gone. The Alexandrian Empire came and gone. And the Roman Empire came and gone. And then we have 2,000 years since Christ. Because when Christ was here, the Roman Empire was in rule at that time. So the Jews were taken out of the land at the fall of the temple in 70 A.D. And so the Bible says that they have been out of the land and will be out of the land for about two days according to the book of Hosea. Two days, they return. So now they have returned and become established again as a nation. Now, the Bible is not a, a bunch of guesswork. It does speak specifically about specific things. Sometimes we don't get all the pieces together, but we get enough of it to get a good idea that in the times in which we live, and we are right here, this is where we are on the timetable that God has laid out in His Word. So we know what has happened, and we also know what is going to take place. The next thing is for the rapture. That's those who have trusted Christ as Savior, caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so there's these kingdoms that have come, but the ten toes were separated from the body, and they're way out here in the future. And they are going to have this seven-year period of time because they are the ones that will be ruling when Christ comes back. But it says he destroys all these nations together. Look there in verse 35. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces, and you ought to underline or circle that word, together, together. So I believe there's a good possibility that even after 2,000 years, those very same nations, in some form or another, there's a good possibility they will be existing during this period of time. Not per se the, the same power, but look there in the next scripture. Look at verse 44. Verse 44. In verse 44 it says, And in the days of these kings... These ten kings. Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed? Or right, look up here. In the days of these ten kings, will the God of heaven set up a 
kingdom that will never be destroyed. And the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end to it. Now, this is just a thousand years here, but there's a new heavens and a new earth, and that kingdom will last forever. So God has made a promise. Now, you think, well, that's way out there in the future, way out there in the future. If Christ came today, this is only seven years away. This is just seven years away. If he came today. Now, this morning in Sunday school, I talked a little bit about the seven feasts that are mentioned in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. The first four is the spring feast, and the last three are the fall feast. These are all feasts of Israel. None of these feasts were given to the church. Even though there are things that mentions about what they represented, they taught great truth. Truth that we are able to enjoy because of what God's done for the nation of Israel. Even though Christ dying on the cross was a, that's the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So when Christ went to the cross and shed his blood and became sin for us, well, don't we look to the cross for our salvation, even though we're doing this period of time? Yes. But the feast days were strictly Israel. We do not celebrate any of those feast days. Now, because we are now looking at something very important. I believe that the Pentecost was the last of the spring feast. And that this feast of trumpet is the first of the fall feast. You and I are in between these two Jewish feasts. This is the church age that has been put in here. Now you could take this all out of here and just take this and slide it right up against it. And scripture would flow right in through it. It would go from the spring feast right into the fall feast. But we have these three things that are coming into the future. You've got the one here, you've got the one here, and you've got the millennial reign coming upon the earth. The Feast of Tabernacles was whenever they were in the Old Testament, say they lived in the little tents. And Christ is going to come back and to reign. So you and I know that when Christ comes to the earth, he comes to rule, to reign, and all the kingdoms of the earth will be consumed under his leadership. This is why the Bible talks about, and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. All nations, big, small individuals, will all submit to his authority, and he will rule and reign. Now, go back here to the book of Daniel in chapter 2 verse 44, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which get, shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume, get this, all these kingdoms, as though all these kingdoms will be existing during this period of time. Like the body is laying down, but now it's standing up. And when the stone hits the toes, it destroys all Gentile ruling power over the nation of Israel. Think about the impossibility of this. Do you ever watch sometimes the United Nations? 
and some of those that will be given some of those speeches. And most of it is it's a hate crime. Why don't they get some of these guys for hate crimes? And can you imagine the stupidity of some of these guys that are on human rights councils? They're the last people that ought to be on a, the human rights. They're the one that's doing the damage. They're the murderers, the dictators, the killers. And they're on their, well, we're going to make sure that everybody does right. Whoa! How did they get there? I, I, I see faults in all this. I think the United Nations ought to be kicked out of America. We ought not give them a dime. And I don't see why in the world we're supporting any money to any of these nations that don't love us. You're not for us, then you're against us. And why support your enemy? Anyway, I'm not running for office. Just thought I'd throw that out there. No charge. But you might as well know a little bit about where I'm coming from. But now look what he says there in verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone, which is Christ, was cut out of the mountain, which is Israel, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. It says, The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, the interpretation thereof it is sure. This is what is going to take place. Now take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, and look at verse 13. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. This is um, a little bit of a picture for you to see what is going to take place. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all people, nations, and languages should serve him. So we know that the Bible talks about somewhere along the line, there's somebody going to come on the scene, and all the nations are going to come together, and they're going to serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. This is not the Antichrist. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So there is one coming, which all the nations of the earth are going to eventually give all their power and support behind Jesus Christ, when he comes, there will be a judgment of the nation, and Christ himself will rule over the nations of the earth. And believe it or not, Israel will be the greatest nation upon the face of the earth. Look at it right now, at the impossibility of all the nations, 180-something or something like that, way up there, all these nations that are against Israel. And you would think, well, it would take a miracle for that to change. Well, it will. It will definitely be one. But they are going to change. And they are going to come around to God's way of thinking. And the Bible even says this in 17th chapter of Revelation, that God has put into the hearts to turn the hearts and so forth of the people to fulfill His will. So during the tribulation period... When all these nations come together and God says, I, I am going to put a hook into the jaws of Russia and pull Russia down. 
and her allies are going to come together. But that will take place toward the earlier part. And there is going to be a great war. When I was in Israel, I, I had some of the guys that would, would sit around and would talk, you know. And he says, do you know, we have more gold and silver in the Dead Sea. Now, I don't know if this is true. But it's the lowest part in the earth. And that which is weight goes down. And he says, we have more gold and silver in the Dead Sea and other kinds of minerals. That's more wealth than all the world put together. Anywhere else in the world, they got more of it right there. That they have what they, they have oil. Now, remember, it, it makes us say, Asher shall dip his toe in oil. Israel has oil, but that's in the book of Genesis. Nobody believes that anymore. But Israel has oil. Israel now has found not only oil, but they've also found gas, natural gas. Russia is going to come down against Israel one of these days. I believe very soon. Israel is sitting ready to have to do some damage to somebody. Because here's the reason. God made a holy covenant. A holy covenant. And they are not willing to honor that holy covenant that God gave to Israel. They don't care about it. They don't honor it. One of the things you'll hear from the prime minister of Israel is that they need to recognize Israel's right to exist. Their right to life. The right to be a nation. But you see, the Palestinians and the Arabs, they want to destroy the nation of Israel. They don't want peace with Israel. They want a peace of Israel. But that's not what God's talking about. And God said, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And you say, well, look how the Arabs have been, you know, blessed. I know, but it ain't, it ain't over. It ain't over yet. Don't judge too quickly. God knows what he's doing. Now look in verse 21. Verse 21. It makes the statement in verse 21. I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints. Prevailed against them. Now this is during this period of time right here. The tribulation period. Because see, most of the scriptures as you study the Old Testament. Does not refer to between the Pentecost, and the rapture. This is church. So as you study Old Testament, Scripture, prophecy, most of it has nothing to do with this period of time where we are. It deals with here and here because of what the Old Testament prophets saw. This is a mystery that they did not see and totally understand. There were hints toward it, but not full recognition. But look what he says here. In verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So when Christ comes back here, all of the saints, we that are going to come back with the Lord, and the saved that comes out of the tribulation period, we are going to possess the kingdom. We are going to rule and reign with Christ. We are. So there might not be a lot that we'll do between now and then, but I don't like to use... The rapture as an escape from responsibility while I'm here. I believe that we still ought to do all the right that we know to do because did you know we could be totally wrong on our timing? I would like to have read the Bible and it says on September the 28th in the evening at 6 o'clock on 
uh, I will return in the year 2011. Now that would have settled it, wouldn't it? But he didn't do that. So we have been guessing at the year for over 2,000 years. And he may come this year. And he might not come this year. As you study the New Testament books, you'll find out that it doesn't tell us to look for any other particular signs. It was always he could come back at any moment, any moment. Because, see, I don't, I, don't, I don't care when he comes back. Just do it soon. But I do enjoy living at this time because, man, I can't hardly wait to get to the newspaper to hear the news at night. To see what's going on. What else is happening that's exciting? Now, if you don't know any of this stuff, you could be scared to death. You don't know what's going to happen. Ah! But if you do understand some of this stuff, man, it is exciting to you. How many of you are relating to me? How many of you understand what I'm saying? Would you raise your hand? How many of y'all ain't got a clue? No, no, don't no, raise your hand. <laughs> but this is something that we've been teaching and we believe that could happen. Very, very soon. And yes, the rapture could take place this week. And the, 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 the part that hurts about all of this is, is Steve Yant going into the hospital on Thursday. <laughs> to get him a new heart. <laughs> He's back here waving his hand. <laughs> he might not even need it. But if Saturday shows up, and we're all here next Sunday. Don't you come in here weeping and wailing and gnashing your teeth. The Lord promised and he, didn't, he did not. He didn't say when he was coming. Oh, I know the time of the year that I think it might be. And I like to believe that that's when it's going to be. But I can't put it in concrete and say definite. Because I do not want to at any time say, God, he can't come back today. Because, you know, this is not the Feast of Trumpet. I mean, this is not Rosh Hashanah. I mean, I can't, he can't come that now. Yes, he can. He's God. And I don't know exactly what he's going to do and whether or not this really will be the date because, you know, this starts this. But how do I know there's not really maybe a little time in it? I don't know. I just believe that when this comes out, that starts the seven week of Daniel because of the timing and how God lays out everything. But I might be wrong. Hank may be right, but I might be wrong. I don't know. Well, one of these days it's going to happen. That's the important thing. Now, what I want you to do is uh, look there in verse 23. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. Babylon's already off. Which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Now, right now, see, we have where one thing hits in one country, it hits, affects everything. When it stock markets bottom out here, it affects the whole world. This whole world is so unified together that it's, it's pathetic. I, I don't like it, and I don't like America losing its sovereignty. And I don't like it whenever we're so affected by whatever happens someplace else, it affects us to, uh, where we're devastated. But that's the way it is. Look in verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings. Remember the, the beast that had the ten toes? All right. Everything has happened except the last one, the one that has the ten toes. The ten toes is during this period of time because 
Rome took it up there. And that was the legs of the, uh, 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 after the, the Grecian Empire. So that's already been done. The next one, the last one, is ten toes, the ten kings, the ten horns. That's right here. Now, he makes a statement in verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and shall uh, another shall rise after this, which we believe is the Antichrist, because they will give their power to this Antichrist. So that is what is going to come. Take your Bible now and look in the book of Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Verse 24 talks about the 70th week of Daniel. Those 70 weeks are seven seventies. So that means there's um, 490 years total. And there's a time limit in this, talking about going up to the time of Christ, which would be 69 weeks or 483 years. The temple was uh, about seven weeks in building, and that was 49, so that's why it's mentioned in there. Now, when he makes the statement up here that the Antichrist is going to come, and you'll notice in verse 25, Messiah, the prince. So the Messiah, the true Messiah, the real Messiah is called the prince. He's coming. But then it says that he is going to be cut off. See there in verse 26? And after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. That's when he went to the cross and he was killed. And then the people of the prince... The people who are against Christ, but for the Antichrist in the future, he is going to come. And he is going to make war. He's going to take over. But he's going to do it in a, a different way than what you and I would think that a man would be able to get into power. I'll show you that in a second here. So anyway, you'll notice there in verse 26. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, this happened whenever Rome came in and they destroyed the city and so forth. And it's been down ever since. We're looking for the time when the temple will be rebuilt. So how in the world do you think Israel today would ever get any Arab country to agree to let them build a temple on Mount Moriah? And they don't even have to tear the other one down. I, when I first went there 25 years ago, I walked up on that thing and I looked around and I looked at the eastern gate and I stood there and I looked at Mount uh, Zion and I said, there's the eastern gate right on the other side. I hadn't even been there before. And I, I, I just ha I had clues. And, go ahead, and it's sealed up, which the Bible says in Ezekiel it would be. And there it is. It's all sealed up. And I said, the thing has to be right to the north of it because it has to line up. I believe the exit door and the sides of the north, the sides of the north is that the side of it on the north side faces north, but east faces toward the mountain, toward mountain, right, right toward the eastern gate. And so that's the way the Messiah is supposed to come in. But anyway, that's another sermon. But I am excited, but I had questions about it. How are we ever going to get the nations of the world to accept the fact that we need to have a temple built upon that temple mount? Because the Antichrist is going to go in the temple and claim himself that he's God. But where's the temple? So it has to be built. Something has to happen. Something drastic has to happen to make the Arab nations and the United Nations authorize a treaty 
where this can all take place. So therefore, I believe there's a good possibility something devastating is going to take place, and Israel is going to take and deal very harshly with something very soon that's going to drive them to the table, and they're going to willingly let Israel do what Israel wants to do in order for them to get their Palestinian state. Just remember, you heard it right here. I don't know when. I don't know exactly how. I, don't, I can't put a date on it. But because I know the Bible, I know what has to happen and what has to take place. So it's, um, it's, it's going to come. Now, in these scriptures, it says there in verse 27, And he, the prince of the people, the Antichrist, the one that they will exalt that represents them, is going to confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's seven years. That's the seven years right here. And it's going to be the worst period of time the world has ever known. Isn't it true that even right now, Israel wants peace? I listened to Benjamin Netanyahu the other night on the, he was being interviewed, and he says they want peace. They'll do almost anything for peace. Except stop the building on the West Bank and all that side and outside of Jerusalem. But they want peace. But they want them to recognize their right to exist. And so um, see how that plays out. Now take your Bible, look into chapter 11. Very quickly, chapter 11. One of the things we know about this last world leader, and remember, there's generally far prophecies and near prophecies. One that's happened soon and one that happens way in the future. History repeats itself. So God can give one prophecy, and parts of it will happen soon, and another part of it will happen later. But one thing is, he's going down here in verse 20 of chapter 11. Then shall stand up in his estate, and you ought to underline these words. This is what he will be mostly about. A razor of what? A razor of taxes. In the glory of the kingdom, but within few days he shall be destroyed, neither in anger nor in battle. Verse 21, And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in, and here's that word, you ought to underline it, peaceably obtain the kingdom by, you ought to underline the word, flatteries, and with the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken. And, yea, the, and you ought to underline that phrase, the prince of the covenant. See, there is the holy covenant that God gave to Israel concerning the people and the land. There is a peace treaty that must be made by this world council and given authority to Israel. But it's not the same covenant because this is one they make and it's one they break. And so it says in verse 22, the last part of verse 22, the prince of the covenant. Turn the page, if you've got an old Schofield reference Bible. And you'll notice what he says here in verse 28. Then shall he return into his land with great riches, and his heart shall be, and you ought to underline this phrase, against the holy covenant. They are against Israel's right to exist. They're against Israel's right to the temple site, against Israel's right to the land. And so they are against the holy covenant, the holy covenant, the gun that God gave. Now, look up there in verse 30. It says, For the ships of Chittim shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. 
shall how he do. He shall even return and have intelligence with them that forsake the holy covenant. And then down in verse 32, I believe this is their covenant where he says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Now all these things are mentioned throughout the scriptures here. But trying to separate between the covenant God gave and the one that they make. And they will make a covenant, but they will break the covenant because of what they want to do. They will, this will not eliminate the desire of the Arab nations to destroy Israel and to totally annihilate them. And if it was not, if it was not for the Lord coming back when he does, no flesh will be left alive. God says that it's possible for man to destroy man from the face of the earth. Well, where am I going to be while all this is going on? Well, the Lord is coming back just for me. See, this is going to be the worst period of time in the whole world. And the Lord, He loves me so much, He don't want me to go through that. So He's going to come back and get me. And He says, if y'all want to go, He'll, he'll take y'all too. But he's coming back for me. I am, I am his pet child. But if you want to go, then you'll have to do what I did. And I, I, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Do you see why you need to trust the Lord? You see, this is in the Scriptures. And you're talking about watching the evening news. This is like reading the, tomorrow's newspaper. The Bible is true. Do you think it's just a coincidence that all these things are going on and yet the Bible's told about this all these years in advance. It ought to cause a person to have a great respect for this book and to believe, you know, maybe God knows what he's doing. Maybe God still is in charge. And I believe that um, we're living in a very, very exciting time. I, 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 I wish I could just start on a Sunday morning and just teach the book of Daniel and Revelation without stop. Just, just nonstop. But y'all couldn't handle it, so I won't do it. This hand represents... Look, I, I want you to know this. You need to know how to be sure you're going up here. You need to know for sure that you're going to heaven whenever you die. A lot of people don't know this. They don't understand it. But there's only one way to get to heaven. Not two, not three. And I don't go your way, you don't go my way. We go God's way or we don't go at all. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. He hates what we do wrong. You can understand that. you got children. Don't you love your children? Yeah. Do you love what they do wrong? Well, no. Aren't you married? See? Yeah. Well, look. Don't you love your husband? You just don't like what he does wrong. Don't you love your wife? You just don't like what she does wrong. So mine doesn't do anything wrong. Okay? God says we have all sinned and come short of God's perfection. And the Lord says to pay for the sin is eternal separation from God. See, God cannot allow us into heaven with sin. Because that would make heaven imperfect. So we can't go. That's why we need a Savior. God says you cannot save yourself. Because all of the good works you could ever do will not make you perfect. 
It'll not make you good enough to go to heaven. So the church, and I'm glad you came this morning, but I hate to tell you, you could join our church, but it won't get you to heaven. And if you gave some money today, thank you. But it can't get you to heaven. None of your good works will get you to heaven. Won't even help. There's only one way to get to heaven. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. Now he hates what we do wrong because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But because he loved us, he took our sins and died in our place. It means he paid for my sins. See, if he paid for my sins, what it means is I don't have to. It means that I don't have to go to hell and pay for one sin because he paid for all of mine. So did Christ die for you? Yes. But the payment, see, is not put to your account unless you believe he did it for you. So see how easy it is? All you have to do to go to heaven is to believe that he did it for you. You've heard that he died on the cross. Just believe he died and paid for you. See, there's a God in heaven that says, I will save all those that believe I did it for them. Can't get any simpler than that. Has nothing to do with your language. Has nothing to do with your skin color. Has nothing to do with your language. It's a gift. It's free. It's for whosoever. So God says, whosoever believeth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believe anybody, if you'll believe it, you will not perish. You will not go to hell. It means I don't have to pay for one sin. You mean of all the bad things I've ever done? Yeah, I've done a bunch. I might even do a whole bunch before I'd get out of here. But they're all paid. I had a man tell me this just yesterday. He says, you mean to tell me that I, if I still do things wrong, I still go to heaven? Yeah. That's a crude way to put it, but yet this is the truth. So it's up to you as an individual. Will, will you believe it? Made sense to me. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you trust him this morning? I'm not going to have you forward, and I'm not going to embarrass you. But right where you're sitting, you say, the preacher, that made sense to me, and I will accept the payment Christ made for me. And preacher, I'd like for you to pray for me in closing. If what I said made sense, would you do it right now? I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you trust Christ right now, God saves you, and I'd like to have prayer for you. And so I'm asking you, would you let me know? Would you just slip it up very quickly? Just slip your hand up very quickly and say, by that, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. Yes, God bless you. Okay. Anyone else before we close? Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Bless each one for being here, and especially the one indicating that they would trust you as their Savior. We ask your blessings upon us, upon our country. And Lord, we do pray for that little nation of Israel and Jews around the world. And, Father, I pray that you would put a hedge about them and protect them and help us as a nation here in America to do right by the nation of Israel. Because, Father, we believe that if we honor them, you'll honor us. But if we curse them, you'll curse us. That's a covenant you made. And, Father, we don't do this because somebody deserves it, but because you promised it. So thank you so much for all you've done for us. Give us a good day and good service tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.